Welcome to Directions Not Included, a podcast that features candid conversations for a stronger community. So many of life lessons do not include instructions. It's a live and learn situation, especially when it comes to raising strong families and creating healthy communities. Together, we will discuss tough topics that help make us better people and overall, a better community. Because together, we can build a legacy. These days, the world can feel heavy, and if you're like me, it's easy to wonder how we can build a brighter future. But imagine the vantage point for today's youth. In the 2021 Midland County Youth Study, we saw a steep drop in youth reporting the developmental asset positive view of personal future. How does this asset develop, and what are the influencers? And as parents and community members, how can we frame conversations with our kids to help them build their positive view of future? Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Catherine Tate, and today we will be exploring the developmental asset positive view of personal future. We will explore how youth develop their future and what can influence a student's perspective on this. To help with the conversation, we have Amy Jaster and Peggy Spansky. Amy Jaster is a Midland native who has been an educator for over 20 years with experience teaching our local public schools and at the college level. Currently, she's a lifelong wellness professor at Delta College in the Health and Wellness Division. Amy earned her teaching certificate from CMU and then later completed her master's degree in educational leadership at SVSU. Amy has experience in the fitness industry as a fitness instructor, personal trainer, and former boutique fitness studio owner. She also has a certificate in creating well-being and as an educator, welcomes the opportunity to educate others on the benefits of living a healthy lifestyle. Amy is a member of the Midland Noon Rotary Chapter and currently acts as a committee chair of the Wellbeing Committee and co-chair of the Membership and Public Image Committee. In the community, Amy has helped to coordinate yoga for cancer patients, caretakers, and survivors in partnership with Midland Cancer Services, and she sits on the advisory board for Midland Public Schools Health Committee. Amy is a recent graduate of Leadership Midland, where she now serves on the steering committee. Amy and her husband, Jeff, have two college-age daughters, Allie and Ella, along with two dogs, Charlie and Lucy. She loves family time, being active, and volunteering in her community. Peggy Sapansky's life purpose is to shine bright for her family, inspire others to thrive, and positively contribute to the communities around her. At Dow, she is responsible for managing the operational strategies, systems, and relationships to positively impact the well-being of Dow people around the world. Outside of Dow, she loves to spend time with her family. She shares her passions for healthy living and holistic well-being through coaching and consulting individuals and community organizations. Peggy's background is in exercise science and nutrition. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist, certified health coach, and energy management trainer. In August of 2022, she graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with her master's in applied positive psychology, which is the science of human flourishing. All right, so diving right in. Positive view of personal future is one of the developmental assets. Amy, would you get us started and just tell me, how would you interpret this asset based on that name? So when I think of personal future or a positive view of it, I think of like a personal outlook or my view on life and having it in a positive light. So I see myself doing something in the future. I think you know, I have a goal or a mindset of where I want to be. I think the age old question of what do I want to be when I grow up, right? That, that purpose or that meaning. 
I think it also tying into that is just also about having some sense of purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So I think having a positive, positive view on your future or like where you're going to be is also about what is it I'm going to bring to the world? What are the mm-hmm. gifts that I have to offer? That's really insightful. And one of the things I love when we look at developmental assets is how you can't look at one asset without looking at multiple assets. And sense of purpose is one of the other developmental assets within that category of positive identity assets. So I love that you brought that up and and tied those together. I think that's really meaningful. Peggy, do you want to add anything to that or maybe uh, give us some insight into why it's important for students to have a positive outlook? I don't have anything really special to add. I think Amy nailed it in terms of, you know, my interpretation of that phrase also having that positive view of a personal future. So, so I don't have anything necessarily to add just how important it is to have that personal vision and how that can guide us along the way, you know, and can kind of serve as those grounding points, you know, because life gets hard. And so in those times of struggle, in those times of when it's hard, if we're grounded with who we want to be, how we want to show up, how we want to contribute, that can really help us kind of chunk it down and, and to take that next step or, or to know what's the next best step for me. So I think mm-hmm. it gives us that path and mm-hmm. a little bit of clarity, especially when life gets tough. Oh, I really like that. I hadn't thought about it in terms of helping build resiliency. You're almost saying that this plays into helping people become resilient and to get through those, I mean, those rough patches. You're right. We all all have them. So I'm curious, um, and Peggy, maybe you have a sense of this. How How does somebody develop that view of their future? Gosh, I think there's a lot of ways to do this. I'll tell you some of my favorites are learning from the past. So I think about, you know, and, and the new year is a great time of reflection. And so, you know, what what was well, what worked well last year that I want to make sure I build in this year into my personal plan? But then also, where did I stumble? And what might have caused that? And what can I be thinking about as, you know, life happens this year? So how can I be thinking forward and say, you know, what did I learn from my past experiences and how can I do a little bit better this time or this next time when a circumstance happens or whatever. So I think one of the great ways is to be a learner and to take a, you know, look at your experiences and learn from them. I also think it's important to set very real and honest expectations. I think one of the pitfalls that we can fall into when we're talking about a positive view of the future is perfectionism. And so really kind of, oh gosh, letting go of some of these expectations, you know, it can be, as I said, the new year can be exciting, but it can also be a little bit of a stumble for some because we have such high, maybe unrealistic expectations. So mm-hmm. being honest, being real, real with, you know, the fact is uh, things will come up. There will be stumbling mm-hmm. points. So how will we navigate through those? I think it's important to be real and honest. Great insights. Thank you. Amy, do you want to add anything to that? I know you work with students on a regular basis, um, young adults. Perhaps you see things a little differently from the vantage point of young adults figuring out where they're going and what their view is. I would agree. I think we learners, right? We are learners. I think, you know, we develop it based on our experiences. But I also think that there are people in our lives that also help to guide that. 
I think about something super simple that we talk about in, in my classes are like vision boards, right? Making a list, journaling, just putting ideas down on paper. I think it's one thing to have the thought, but when we actually put the thought to paper or we put any of that goal setting or that mind setting stuff onto paper, it becomes very real, right? So, you know, we are our best learner. We are our best critic. We are our best cheerleader at times too, right? We have all of those characteristics within ourselves. But I just really think that some of this starts even younger, like grade school stuff, right? I think, I think back to, um, and I'll just tell a funny story that kind of talks about this is, you know, I talked in the first part about that the age old question, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's really somebody asking you, what do you want to do when you're quote unquote an adult or, or whatever? And sometimes that changes over time, right? But I think it's someone asking the question, like, what do you see? Right. And then from there, learning from that, whether it's different jobs, um, I tell the story that I changed my mind on what I wanted to be when I grew up five times. And ironically, I'm doing the thing that I wanted to do that I said I wanted to do when I was in the second grade. Wow. So while, while I have changed, I mean, I think we start thinking about that as young as grade school, Mm -hmm. as little people, I don't even think you, I mean, and then we continue to evolve, right? Again, like Peggy said, based on what works well, what doesn't work well, I like it, I don't like it. And so I always use that example with sometimes you don't know what you want to be forever and ever, but you know what you kind of want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So it might be a broader umbrella of what my future looks like. Say this is the exact example I use with my students, because several of them, lots of them work in the service industry in some capacity. And so I'll always say, do you like working with people? Because the service industry is in the service of people. And so I'll say, if you love the idea of working with people, then you know that you're not going to want to sit at a desk where you don't talk to anybody. So you can check that off the list of things I want to be when I grow up. That's great. And it's interesting because you were actually talking to some of the questions that I was wondering about, like, when do we start thinking about this? When does it start to develop? And when you mentioned elementary school, it's funny because I I can remember being in first grade and thinking, oh, I want to be a teacher. And then there was this whole phase where I like wanted to train dolphins. It, you know, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But but you're right about how it evolves and you stop and you think about, is that realistic for me? And you know what, Catherine, I just want to add on to something that Amy mentioned, because I think Please. it's so important. And, and just the idea of what do we want to be when we're growing up, you know, it kind of, it kind of struck me because sometimes, you know, I've got, I've got a couple kids, um, college age, one's just entering college, one's in his later years of his undergraduate work. And, and again, this knowing what you want to be when you grow up can be such a pressure for young people. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I want to share a personal story. So I went back to school uh, in the last year and, you know, I'm 52. And so I was a little bit embarrassed by that, but then I learned to use that with my kids as a pretty powerful example and a real life example of, you know, you never really know you're always learning. You're always growing. And, and I'm 52 and I'm not sure what I want to be when I grow up yet. So there's some of those things that, again, can kind of feel a little uncomfortable, but then when we we can use them also, I think, to help exemplify and be a pretty powerful, you know, example of you can always evolve, you can always adjust. And to Amy's point, 
you know, you don't, you maybe don't know what you want to be, but you know what feels right for you. Mm -hmm. And so leaning into that and moving forward in that direction, and then stay open to the possibilities of what Mm -hmm. may come next. So I'm going to go a little bit off script here for a moment. So to that end, one of the things that comes to my mind is, does does the unknown, if we educate our kids that, you know, you're going to change careers five different times or seven different times in your life, and it's okay if you get a college degree in something, but then you go do something totally different, does that create discord or... Um, anxiety in kids who maybe are feeling that pressure of what are you going to do when you grow up? Or is that helping them set realistic expectations? Can you still build a positive view of your future if you have no idea what this looks like? So um, I have a college graduate, actually. So my daughter just recently graduated from college. And I'll, I'll just be honest, she was an exceptional learner. She's a very bright young lady, super proud of her, very focused, very driven, you know, to, to speak to your example, um, you know, a lot of pressure on herself to get good grades and, and so on. But I'll also follow that with she's also a very natural learner, learning comes very easily to her. So fast forward to her degree, she is tunnel focused, knows exactly what she wants to do. She's a psych major, wants to get her PhD in psych. And um, I think everybody on this call knows that a PhD is really lifelong learning, right? That's Mm -hmm. being in school for a really long time. And so as a parent, you know, I'm super supportive of her goals, right? And um, we spoke about that. And um, I dropped in a few other ideas like, hey, why don't you work for a few years and then go to school or make sure this is what you really, nope, this is what I do. This is what I want to do. I mean, you know, super convincing. And then somewhere along the line and in, in the last um, you know, year before graduating, decided she had this epiphany that maybe she didn't want to go to school for that many years, that it might be a good idea to work for a little bit and then go back and, and do all these things. So I think, and because I used myself as an example of changing my mind, I literally changed my mind on what I wanted to do five times. I counted them five times. I changed my mind. And I tell my daughters that, and I tell my students that because that's human, right? I mean, I'll use examples. I thought that I wanted to work at Dow and co-op there and knew within the first month, I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I thought I wanted to be a personal trainer and a fitness specialist because that's what my husband did at the time. And his job looked super glamorous and fun. And then realized that that was not really something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I think that just in my personal world with my kids, I've just been very open with them about following those internal cues, right? So while we might be tunnel focused on that, that it's also okay to not know. With my current college students, I always tell them that. And that's why I always use the broad umbrella of what is it you like? Because at the end of the day, if you like what you do, it's not work, right? If you enjoy what you do, even if it evolves and changes, I was a business owner, you know, not that long ago, and now I'm back in the classroom, and I was a teacher before the business owner part, I wouldn't change either of those experiences, right? Did I think in second grade, I wanted to be a business owner? Nope. Did I know that I wanted to do XYZ? From So I think that just as a parent, for me personally, I tried super hard to be authentic and open with my girls to let them understand that whatever path they chose, they would be supported, that we needed to at least have a path. There at least needed to be some vision sitting out there of 
what we might want to do, even if it changes, because I think without a goal, then we don't have anything to work towards. I don't know. Thoughts on that, Peggy? I think it depends. I think it depends on a couple of key things. One is how do you define success? Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about young people, you know, a lot of it is those influencers around them, whether that be their friends, their peers, their parents modeling different things. Like what, what does success look like or feel like to them? And kind of pulling that out, then that can help to determine you know, if that's the right path or not for them. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's an important consideration, I think, is number one, being clear on what does success look like, but then also what's the story that you're telling yourself? You know, that is going to be pretty powerful in recognizing whether this ability to adjust or stay flexible on your career path or on your life path is going to be a good thing or is going to be a derailing thing. How are you thinking about it? And again, a lot of that comes back to how I choose to define success for myself or for my family or for my whatever. And so what I mean by that is, again, it gets into our beliefs and how powerful our beliefs are. So if we, if I, if we think that this is a bad choice, then that's what we're going to believe. So how might we rewire some of that thinking if it's tripping us up from moving in a direction that that feels right for us, that's more aligned with how I want to define success for myself? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's great. You mentioned something about the, the influences, the people they surround themselves by, and that leads me to my next question. How does a young person's engagement and activities and the relationships that they have impact their view of their future? I think all events in our life impact us, right? I think everybody that comes into our life comes in for a reason, impacts us for a reason and teaches us a lesson. I don't think that I knew that when I was in middle school, in high school, and even in college, right? So because you can't really control sometimes what what they do. I mean, believe me, I've tried to be the controlling parent. It doesn't always work in my favor, but I try to be subliminally controlling. And I joke about that because I think that it's also my job as a parent to sort of nudge in directions, right? To sort of try new things that maybe I didn't get to try as an as a child or an adolescent. I use the example, I, I use examples a lot even in my classes. So it's easier for me to tell a story. So my youngest was involved all through high school with student leadership. So when she was a freshman, we encouraged her to be a class representative. And she was involved in a sport at the time. So she, you know, had her sports friends, her school friends, her fusion friends, whatever. And we really felt that it was important for her to try it. And our rule is, is you have to at least try. And then if you try it wholeheartedly and it doesn't work in your favor, you don't agree with it or like it or whatever, then I'm okay with you not doing that. And she kind of fought us and we just kept nudging and said, please just do it, try it. And we used the looks great on your resume excuse, right? And um, she ended up being class representative, whatever it's called in student leadership. And her freshman year and sophomore year, and then junior year became class president and senior year was class president of her class and was in student leadership class and was planning assemblies and running fundraisers and doing activities and loving every minute and blossomed, just blossomed. So that's just an example of that experience for her. Could I have just let her have her classmates and her palm friends and her fusion friends? I could, but I felt like there was a different avenue for her to explore. Last example I'll give is with my older daughter. She was in band 
And in eighth grade, you have to make the decision if you're going to sign up for um, high school band or not. And I had worked in the high school and knew how powerful the band was. It's an amazing family of students and parents and supporters. And so I knew the transition from, you know, middle school to high school can be hard. She had um, her swim friends that she was going to swim with. And she said, I'm not going to do band. And I said, "Mm, that's really not okay. I said, band is super fun in high school. I think you should try it. And she's like, I don't really want to. And I said, all right, do me a favor. I'd like you to be in it for at least a semester, right? So at least do fall marching band. So fun games, the whole nine yards. So fast forward, she goes to band camp, which is the most rigorous week of a band person's life. It's absolutely the craziest week. Mm-hmm. And she finished that week and said, I love this so much. And so that was freshman year, summer and junior year apply or sophomore year applied to be a drum major and ended up being a drum major for two years. So I think that, again, those events that come in, they come in for a reason. And she actually cited the fact that her her mother told her that she had to, quote unquote, had to do band freshman year and then she could quit. And then she said, I'm so thankful that my mom made me do it because here I am standing in front of you wanting to lead you. And she loved every minute of being a drum major. So I think that that, that's one of those things where, again, those events, like you said, how does that play into it? It just does. And I think as a parent or a support person and, you know, or a guardian, whatever you might be, I think it's also your job to do those subtle nudges, right? I don't think it's a, I said had to, but it was probably a little more finesse than that back in the day. But I think it's our our goal or our our job. And even as an educator, I try to nudge my students into stuff, you know, just gentle, like little pushes to get them. And then again, try it and see what you think. If it doesn't work, then we can back off. But we don't know unless we try. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That That's my kind of two cents on the idea. Yeah. Peggy, do you have anything that you want to add to that? I just, I completely agree that all of the experiences I think matter. And, and I think to, to Amy's point, those things that feel right, we can kind of lean into those things that are more, more uncomfortable than we want to experience. We can move on or we can learn from that. But I think that's the key. And going back to what we said before is really being a learner, but being open to try. So it's about having that open mindset. And I think Another key message, especially when working with students, is that's how we grow. And not just students, adults, kids, it doesn't matter. But when we're uncomfortable is when we're growing. And so when they can recognize that, I think also that helps them to be open to try or it can help them to be Mm -hmm. open to try new things. Just knowing that it's okay to be uncomfortable and, and kind of normalizing that. One other aspect I want to add to this part of the conversation is one of the things I think can really help, especially in raising kids, is is normalizing that humanness. <laughs> so normalizing the fact that we will make mistakes, you will get uncomfortable, you will learn from those mistakes, hopefully. And so how can we build that into the normal dialogue instead of setting them up to have to know everything and to be perfect and and so forth, instead kind of just bringing that sense of normalcy. So I think I work with some parent groups and, and some folks that we do 
you know, and like we, we've, a lot of us, a lot of us have heard of the three blessings exercise or something, you know, every day at the dinner table, what are three things that, what are your favorite things that happened today or three things that you're really grateful for or whatever. But one of the ways that I think that's pretty innovative and really speaks to this part of the conversation is, you know, what's your favorite mistake today? What did you learn Mm -hmm. from it? And what can you do different? So really bringing that, that conversation to the front of, you know, the dinner table or the meeting with your colleagues and so forth is what was your favorite mistake or a big mistake that you had that you can learn from? And what was that? It's funny you say that I was pointing at myself because um, we did that. Um, Ours wasn't like, you know, if you ask a student, your daughter, even students, how was your day? Fine. I mean, so you learn really quickly that you don't answer, ask open-ended questions because you don't get anywhere. Right. So When the girls were little, you know, used to say, who sat next to you at lunch? And then that was a flood of stuff, right? But we used to do three highs and three lows. And so we would start with the three lows for the day, and then we would follow it with the three highs because we always wanted to end on a positive note. And I just, I wholeheartedly agree that it's it's okay to not be okay. Like we just always told our girls, so you got a bad grade. Grades don't define you, right? Did you try your hardest? That's my number one question. Like my daughter will say, oh, I didn't do whatever. And I said, okay what's my, what's my question? She goes, did I try my hardest? I said, did you try your hardest? And she'll say, I really did. But I go, then there's nothing else. Then we stop there. Sometimes we can't be the best at everything. And I think that that was an important lesson that we tried to really instill in our girls at a very young age. And, you know, I'll just, I'll just say up front that I think that being an educator and working in the education field, working with high school students at, and now post-secondary students, puts me at a mild advantage to the way that I parented, right? So I could see things in my students or hear things that they would say that I knew I, I wanted to do differently with my own girls. You know, um, I wanted to not have that pressure that I saw on other students. So I always say to people, I'm really blessed to have been in the industry that I'm in because I felt like it made me a better parent. I just always felt like I was kind of ready for things coming up until my daughters got into college. And then I also started working in college. So then I was back in the, in the playing field again. So I think that, again, to Peggy's point, creating those conversations or those areas where good and bad, you're, you're still accepted and you're still a good person. Mm-hmm. Man, this is a great discussion. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I was wondering as I was preparing for our conversation is, what do you do if there's like a mismatch between the students, maybe abilities and, and view of their future, perhaps, and it could go either way, right? Perhaps it's somebody who has a ton of potential and they're aiming for, you know, lower goals than what it seems like they could achieve. Or it could be the flip side where somebody really just thinks that they're going to go pro in the NBA and, you know, that's never going to happen. How do you help someone reset their their view of their future their goals when it seems like there's a mismatch because I think sometimes when we're standing on the outside we have a different view looking in right I know Amy you, you kind of alluded to that earlier when you saw what your kids could do or should do or should try and you urge them to do that I've done that with my kids some when we can look in from the outside and we see that there's a mismatch what can we do to help students or people resolve that without crushing them, without destroying their dreams and keeping it positive. Peggy, do you want to give it a try? 
where my mind goes immediately is back to some of the comments that Amy made earlier, which was just nudging. And I love that term because, you know, just that gentle encouragement, I think is, can be so powerful, especially when we as parents or educators, you know, those, those adult influencers around kids, when we're modeling some of those same behaviors. So we show, you know, we can get in uncomfortable situations and how we can bounce back in those times. So again, if we're, we're modeling that along with gently encouraging some of that same behavior, I think that can be really, really powerful. And, and I guess even before that is recognizing that it's a journey. And so again, nudging in one direction. I think the other side of that coin, when there's a mixed match with like, as an outsider, we see so much potential and the individual doesn't see that for themselves. Mm -hmm. I think it's again, a journey. And I think nudging in a different way, nudging from a evidence, giving proof, reminding them of what they've accomplished. And, you know, they can kind of, I, I have a son that's very much needs, you know, some boosts in confidence quite regularly. So, so I can hear myself saying to him after he's complaining about whatever he happens to be complaining about. And just really in my mind, thinking about the proof points, what can I bring in front of him to show evidence that he he is smart, he is successful, he is outgoing, he does have, you know, all those little things that real proof, real evidence in front of them. And I think that's the nudge from the other direction when there's a mismatch. Amy, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I think the same with the confidence, right? Like I have, have one that appears extremely confident on, you know, doesn't seem to let anything stop her. I mean, she just goes. And then the other one who clearly is a bright light when she walks in the room doesn't see that, right? So I think for me personally with my daughter, I'll use her first, is oftentimes put experiences in front of her or offer up experiences of things to do with her where she comes out on top or comes out feeling confident about something. And it could be, something super simple where I know it's going to boost her confidence, right? It, um, you know, it, I, I just know that those, and I don't want to, you know, you don't just keep saying, well, you're great. You're great. You need to do more. That is lost. That's deaf eared. Right. So I try to use examples in her life where, you know, look at, you are successful at this and, you know, this is going to be great. And Hey, why don't you help me with X, Y, Z? Wow. Like I wouldn't have been able to do this without you. See, mm-hmm. this, this is, this is why I asked you, because this is what you're good at. Thank you for helping me. I couldn't have done this without you. Right. So I think with that, um, it's funny, you mentioned about the kids that want to go pro. So at the college level, we, I have a lot of college athletes in my classes and that is often a goal. And for some of those students, that goal is very real because mm-hmm. there's not much else going great for them. So academics are not a priority. And so, I mean, I've had two that have been just that was the only goal, right? And so even coming to class and doing the work was not as important as going and shooting hoops for an hour because I need to be better at that. So I always go back to have the conversation. I'm a really honest and upfront kind of person. Now, I would never say, you're never going to make it because you're not good. That's not what I would ever do. So my follow-up, you know, with these two individuals was hypothetically, what would be your fallback? Mm. What, what hypothetically 
could you see yourself doing if being a pro wasn't an option? Is it coaching? You love it so much. So maybe you want to coach, right? And coaching is a great profession to do. Um, you know, it's a job, right? So again, while I would never discount a dream, because I think it's important to have those, I think it's also just important, again, to do the check-in, to ask the question, just what if, hypothetically, if the Pistons didn't draft you, what's the next step? Mm-hmm. Let's have a fallback. Let's have a plan B just in case, right? Like, and even if it's going to work at your local high school as an assistant coach until you figure it out, don't remove yourself from something that you love so much, but let's figure out how to keep it in your life. And then let's build on that particular aspect. So I think Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm always a check-in conversation. Let's sit down, let's have a conversation, let's get real. And then on the other hand, when you're trying to boost the person, I try to fill that person with experience or or things, right? Mm -hmm. Ask them about stuff that I know that they're better at than me so that they feel like they're useful and they can help and and that their advice is warranted and that they have a purpose in helping people. So I, that's where I tend to go with me. I'm, I'm an honest and experience based type of person. I love, I've been making notes as we've gone through today and Peggy, you talked about nudging and Amy, you, you essentially just crafted or shared with us some stories of essentially doing that, like nudging them to think about what is different, but you also talked about both of you about what they're good at and Amy, you you built on that with this empowerment idea by giving them the opportunity to be the expert. You're showing them or giving them a chance to prove to themselves that they're good at something. I, I love that. That's so great. The last question that I really want to explore for just a couple of minutes is what's the relationship between having a positive view of someone's future and their own mental health or well-being? How are those connected? Peggy and I, we probably have the same answer. Yeah, we probably like, um, we've taken, you know, a couple courses and together, same similar course. And, and so um, I I think, you know, we're smiling, because we probably have the same thoughts in our head, right about, you know, what, what does that mean? I think it goes back to, and this is what I tell my students and my girls is find meaning, right? Find a purpose. I think when you feel like you have a sense of purpose, then your self-esteem is elevated. And then I think those things build on each other, right? So I'm I'm a huge like meaning purpose type of person. I am. I just always feel like we are all here for a reason. We are all put on this earth to share the gifts that we have with each other. While our gifts may look very similar, they come wrapped in different wrappings and packages. It just for me, I, I don't know. I think when you have that visualization of some type of meaning and purpose and what, and some future out, anything, any future outlook, right? And it, it might be something as simple as I tell, I tell my daughters and my students baby steps, right? So I think maybe it's graduating from high school, right? Maybe that's your first goal. Maybe it's even, even shorter than that. And it's passing a test or doing well on the SAT or, scoring goals in a game or whatever it is. I think those smart attainable goals then build into that meaning purpose, then the self-esteem raises, and then the positivity goes from there, right? I think we know that if we feel like we don't have a purpose or we don't have a good view of ourselves, then how do we look 
way out in the future and have that be positive. So I think it starts mm-hmm. very internally, right? It starts with that very introspective look at what is it I'm bringing to the table? And again, could be something just super, super superficial, super easy, super chill, like you're a good listener. Mm-hmm. I have the ability to be a good listener. I'm here for you, right? So you know that you're the person that people are going to come to because you are that great listener. So then from there, right? Well, I'm really good at that. So I think it's being good at someone having something, having a great self-esteem and having that that sense of purpose. And again, telling young people that you may not know that full life's vision. Again, I didn't. Peggy just said she went back to school. I'm still going to school. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But I think that that's where it starts. So I think instead of looking at the way out goal, I think we start small, right? And those building blocks become one and the other. And for whatever reason, those things marry each other, right? That that positive view of yourself then somehow allows you to blossom into that positive view of the future. Peggy, do you want to add anything or any last thoughts for our listeners today? Sure. I, I couldn't agree more. I just think that having that positive vision for of myself and of my future is absolutely aligned with my state of mental health. Mm-hmm. And so what are those things that can help me build that positive self? And again, that can give me that hope and optimism for the future. But it starts, as Amy just said, with that self-awareness and that belief in self. And and so, um, so many different tools to help that. And we've talked so much about some already. They can be simple. There's also formal tools like character strengths survey that can help individuals see what are their gifts, their strengths, not focused on skills, but focused on their internal gifts, what makes them them. And when we learn how to amplify those things, that can also really help improve mental and physical well-being. Good stuff. Really good stuff. You guys have tied together a few things that, uh, again, back to that the category of the developmental assets that Positive View of the Future sits in, also includes self-esteem, sense of purpose, and those two in particular. Those two in particular, from our data, showed a close inverse correlation to depression and um, suicidal uh, actions, suicide attempts, I should say, as well as eating disorders. So those things seem to have as as self-esteem goes up, those other things go down. As sense of purpose goes up, those others go down. Those tie from what you're saying directly into this positive view of future. It's really cool to see all of that coming together. It's incredibly meaningful. And that's what our kids need right now more than ever. That's um, This was one of the areas that our kids were struggling the most. I've loved this conversation. I've, I feel like I've, I've been scratching notes down this whole meeting so that I have a few ideas to take home to my kids and the way that I talk with my own kids. I hope that our listeners have gathered some new ideas as well for um, helping to brighten up the future of their own kids and, and what role they can have in that. Peggy and Amy, thank you. This was awesome. I've had a great time talking with you both. Audience, thanks for joining us today. Together, we'll build a legacy in our community.